Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pocket Theology. If you've been missing us, Jason and I have just been buried in things, so we're very sorry that we haven't been able to get on here. Uh, But this week, we're actually going to talk about one of the things that buried Jason. So, Jason, why don't you greet the people as we start? No hablo inglés. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Jason just told us that he doesn't speak English, but anybody who's been following us has at least 30 episodes worth of proof that he speaks English. I think we're past 30 now. I don't know. There's a lot. There is. Hi, everyone. Hope everyone's doing good out there. So this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the Trinity. So Jason, do you want to describe a little bit what this project was supposed to be and give us a little information before we jump in? Yeah. So as Martin alluded to, one of the projects that was killing me over the last month or so was a term paper for a class on the Trinity. This podcast isn't going to focus so much on that. That'll be next week's where we'll talk about what I was actually writing about and my conclusions and stuff. Uh, This week, we're going to focus more on what is the Trinity, because we talk about the Trinity in church and then very rarely actually stop to explain it in any detail. So that's mostly what we're going to be focusing on today. But the project itself is about how our belief in the Trinity should change the way that we view and behave in the church. So how does the Trinity affect the church, basically? That sounds like a wicked gas project. What does that even mean? Gas. It's like good. Lord. Okay. Okay. So do you want to give us kind of an understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity to start out? Yeah. Um, I want to start. Actually, Martin, Martin, you give me give me like a, a one or two sentence definition of what the Trinity is to the best of your ability. Okay. Just so the people know. I have no idea what Jason's going to go off on, so he'll probably nitpick something that I say. I'll try not to be too mean. It's like the point of this. But um, the doctrine of the Trinity would be the idea of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit all being one God while being different in, like, different location, essentially. Like, they're everywhere, but they're also in different places, They all connect. They're all the same God, but they're also all like different persons. Yeah. And persons is the key word, right? So that's like the standard, the standard definition of Trinity. There is one God, but that one God exists in three persons, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. The father is God by himself. The son is God by himself. The Holy spirit is God by himself. But there are not three gods. There is only one God. So uh, the way that I normally put it to my congregation is Christians believe in Trinitarian mathematics. We're in this one specific situation. One plus one plus one does not equal three. It equals one. So that's like the very basic thing. Uh, If you're a Christian, then you should believe this. this is one of the defining characteristics of Christianity. This is why most of your pastors, including myself, are going to say people like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're really close to Christian, but they're not because they don't believe in the Trinity, that God is one in three and three in one. That's another way that we'll put it sometimes. Now, 
How the heck does that work is a question that we have been debating throughout church history. <laughs> like, yeah, we believe that God is one in three, three in one, that there's three persons, one God. But what, what? that's hard to wrap your mind around, right? So doctrine of the Trinity, the belief that you need to understand is there's one God that exists in three persons. And that term person doesn't mean person like Martin is a person and I'm a person. This is like a theological term that specifically applies to God. So God has threeness. God has oneness. And those things don't contradict one another, even if they're really hard to understand. That's the gist of it. And all the other details we'll talk about the rest of the episode. Even if they don't make sense to you, you can still be a Christian. You just have to agree with that one stance. God is one and God is three. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, they're all God. Okay, so let me let me ask this question then, Jason. Why the heck does this matter? Mm -hmm. If I'm a believer, how is this going to change what I do or think? Yeah, um, well, I'll, I'll answer. Why does it matter to begin with? And then we'll talk more about how it affects what you do, what you believe, uh, I'll, I'll give a quick summary of some of my opinions. And then in the next episode, we'll really focus on a specific example. How does it affect the church? Uh, why should you care? Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you love God and you want to be wise, you should want to learn more about him. The more that you know about God, the better Christian you can be, the more positive influence you can have on your church and community and family. So any knowledge that you can acquire about God is good. I would even say you were designed to learn about God and have relationship with him. And if God really is Trinity, which I think he is, then learning more about how the Trinity works, or at least attempting to learn more with humility, knowing that we might be wrong about, you know, the details of the matter, that sort of knowledge and that pursuit of knowledge is going to draw you closer to God. It's going to make you a better Christian. Now, why or what specific areas does this affect? Uh, I think that the Trinity gives us an example that we are to emulate in many different areas. And this is a big point in my paper that we'll get to next week, that the way the Trinity exists, that God is not just one being. It's not just like me sitting here by myself in my home office. God is a community in his very nature. And in order to be a perfect divine community, he has to exist in perfect divine love. Now that sounds like really like super heady. So let me try to make it more simple. If God was just like one being with no individual persons, God was just one. Then before he created the world, he had no one to love, no one to interact with. He was just there by himself. But we say as Christians that God is love because God is love. We should love others, right? That's a pretty simple thing, right, Martin, that we all agree on? He just shook his head sarcastically, smiled, and then nodded his head. But he's muted right now, so he didn't. Anyway, whatever. God cannot be love if he doesn't have anyone to love prior to creation. He can't be part of who he is. It can be something he does later, something he chooses to do, but it can't be who he is. So that's just one example that like God existing in Trinity means that in his very nature is to exist in loving community. And the consequence of that is if we're Christians and we're supposed to act like our God acts to the best of our ability, then we should exist in loving community. It should be a part of who we are because we're trying to emulate our God. 
Uh, that's just one example. And you can draw tons of different areas. It's my belief that God being Trinity affects almost every single doctrine of Christianity. It may not always be immediately obvious how, but it does. That's a pretty solid answer. Hey, thanks. I try. I'm so glad that you try sometimes. Sometimes we can tell. Nice. Thanks. That was the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, so here's a fun question. Uh, we have them written three and four, but I'm going to actually do four, then three. So just because I like to be a little chaotic. So first, let's ask, is the Trinity actually found in Scripture anywhere? Yeah. So you'll hear people say this all the time, and it is absolutely true. The word Trinity does not show up anywhere in the Bible. That's true. Trinity what? is just a... What? What? That's crazy. Um, the word Trinity is just a helpful word that we came up with later to describe also... this thing that we know is true from the Bible, but we wanted like an easy word to be able to be like, yeah, the doctrine of the Trinity. I also want to throw something out real quick. Um, technically, the word baptize isn't in your Bible either, but the Greek word for immerse is baptizo. So really, every time it shows up, we should just be saying push into the water. Yeah, immerse. Baptize as a whole is not actually there. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I know what you're trying to say, but that that's it's part of Christianity co-opting words from Greek and making it religious. It's us transliterating words. And yeah, anyways, that's a different conversation for a different day. We done an but episode on baptism. One. If we haven't, we should. Um, I'm actually doing a lesson in youth group this week on baptism. Nice. So Martin's going to answer the questions for that one uh, for this. Yeah. Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. It's a word we came up with later it, just because it's helpful. It's sometimes human beings speaking any given language have to come up with words or give old words new meanings so that it's easier for us to communicate. Every word was at one point made up. Yeah, exactly. Every word at some point was made up, which is fine. It doesn't mean the church didn't believe the content in the content of the doctrine of the Trinity. It doesn't mean that it's not found in scripture. So the idea is found in scripture. The word is not. So I'll point to a few passages really quick. Uh, Matthew 3, verse 13 and onwards, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, skipping down a few verses. As soon as Jesus, the son, was baptized, he went up out of, that, out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. That's the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven, the father, said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So we see in Matthew 3, all three persons of the Trinity appear distinct from one another in the same location. Some people call it the perfect theophany, and a theophany is just the appearance of God. So they call it the perfect theophany because all three persons showed up in the same place. We might have another one in Genesis where the three strangers visit Abraham, but that's a little bit more speculative. I think it is. Uh, Augustine thinks it's angels representing the members of the Trinity anyways. Also, the creation narrative arguably has all three persons involved as Jesus is the word which created. Mm -hmm. And the father is the one speaking the word. We're using the word. Mm -hmm. And in Genesis 1, we see that the spirit is hovering over the formless waters. Yeah, and that one's a little bit harder 
to get because you need two different texts. You have to read Genesis one and John one and then realize, oh, they're talking about the same event. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So Jesus was there. We know the father was there because he's spoken about in both passages. But then Genesis one says the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I agree with that as well. All three members of the Trinity are in the beginning, um, but it's not all in one text. So you have to compare text to get that conclusion. But yeah, that's valid. Um, so, I mean, there's another good example of the Trinity being found in scripture where John doesn't stutter. He knows Genesis one. He knows that the spirit is mentioned. He knows that the father is mentioned. Now, as a Christian, he's reading back and he's seeing the phrase, the spirit of God differently than non-Christian Jews would. Because they're going to see that as an expression of the power of God or the presence of God. But he's reading it and going, you know, post-Pentecost and saying, no, this is a person of the Trinity. Although he wouldn't have used the word Trinity because that word hadn't been coined yet. But regardless. Uh, and he's saying, well, the son was there as well. Uh, another example where you see all three persons mentioned by Jesus himself in John 14 Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give to you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he continues on. And here we have the son saying, I will speak to the father. And we will send to you another advocate, another person, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who will come to you. Now, he's talking about what will happen in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is going to come down. So you have the Son talking about a conversation he's going to have with the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be a guide and a helper to his church. So again, you have all three persons show up. And Paul realizes that there are three persons in the Trinity. He dies. He's executed in the 60s, right? 60s AD. And as he's writing one of his letters, the letter uh, to the Ephesian church, he speaks about all three members of the Trinity uh, in chapter 5, verse 15 and onwards, well, really verse 18 and onwards. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, so he mentions specifically the father for everything in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the son. So he mentions the spirit twice, the father and the son and uses a generic title that may be referring specifically to Jesus because he calls Jesus Lord again, or maybe referring to God in general, like the entirety of the Trinity. Regardless, doesn't matter. He mentions all three persons and he dies in 60 something A.D. So this is really, really, really early that we have a leader of the church specifically mentioning all three persons and talking about them as equally worthy of worship. So yeah, the word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible. And actually, it takes us hundreds of years to develop the language that we need to talk about the Trinity. And even today, we still debate details of how exactly this works. But the idea that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God, that is a very early idea found clearly in the scriptures that Paul understood. And therefore, the church would have understood because he was a figure, a leader in the church, especially throughout Europe. But he was respected in most of the Middle East as well, especially early on. So, yes, this is a biblical idea, clearly. 
I don't think there's any room to debate that. So the last thing that we kind of wanted to hit on is the development of the Trinity over time or the development of the theology of the Trinity over time. So let me give you a couple questions here and see if you can answer them. First one, where did the idea of the Trinity really get set? So you mentioned earlier that you can, you have to believe this to be a Christian. Where was that decided? Okay. <laughs> it depends on how spiritualized you want this to be. I mean, if, if you want me to spiritualize it, and I'd, be, I'd say, well, I mean, Jesus sets the example because he speaks clearly about the spirit. He speaks clearly about the father. Um, I can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes at you. Well, I mean, it, it's true, right? And he speaks about what's the unforgivable sin, Martin, that Jesus mentions? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So blasphemy literally means to insult. And he speaks about it in context of somebody saying that he's casting out demons by the power of demons. So they're saying like, you you don't have God's blessing. You're using demons. And Jesus is implying, no, I have the power of the Holy Spirit because in Paul's words, Jesus has emptied himself. So everything he does, he does by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Father during his earthly ministry. And he's saying, no, I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are claiming, you're calling the Holy Spirit a demon. You're implying that the power of God is the power of demons. And he says, you be careful because the one sin that cannot be forgiven is laying charges, insulting, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, the only reason why that's so unforgivable is because the Holy Spirit is God. You cannot insult, blaspheme God and then expect forgiveness in the same breath. That's not possible. That's why that sin is unforgivable. If you cannot, if you do not fully repent of it, you literally are cutting yourself off from salvation because you can't say God is a demon or reject God. And then in the same breath, ask him to save you. It's just, it just does not work that way. So I'd say Jesus sets the example, but what you're probably asking in light of our show notes is when does the church get together and formally say, you have to believe this, or we as a church are saying that you're not a Christian. And the answer is, the 300s AD. Now people What's hear that. What's significant about they, the 300s AD though, Jason? Why did it take so long? Yeah. And that's like people hear that. And if you don't know church history, if you don't know Roman history, then you're going like, well, why did it take so long? That sounds like Christianity is developing over time. And to an extent, Christianity does develop over time. And I don't have a problem with that. I think God continues to speak through his church today every bit as clearly as he did early on. I, maybe it's a little bit more obscured because we don't have apostles walking around, but I think God still speaks through his church and he did during the Roman period as well. But people hear that and they'll be like, see, it's fake. Jesus didn't set up the church because it took you hundreds of years to figure out whatever. And that's the reason why that's BS beyond what I've already said that I think Jesus establishes this doctrine. And we're just talking about when the church finally got their heads out of their butts and agreed on it publicly. The reason why you don't have a bunch of bishops getting together and saying this is the official stance of the church earlier than this is because for the first several hundred years, they're being persecuted. Now, they're not, it's not like everywhere a Christian is, people are trying to kill them. It doesn't work like that. It's much more like the pogroms of Eastern Europe against the Jewish people much later, where they'll Christians will exist in peace and they're kind of like people are prejudiced against them and don't particularly like them in most areas, but they aren't like actively trying to kill them. They just don't like them. 
But every once in a while, you'll just get this flare up of violence where a few people are arrested, a few people are lynched. And in a historical scale, you're not going to see a ton of Christians killed during most of these events. But imagine being part of a community that has to live in constant fear that next week your neighbors could just decide they're sick of you, drag you out in the streets and beat you to death. Like, even if that never happens, the fear is going to be enough to change the way you behave. And it's legal. Rome is a required polytheistic empire, which part of their polytheism includes that Caesar is God. If you are claiming that somebody else is the only God, then you're claiming that their gods are false and that Caesar is not God. That becomes a problem. Yeah, it's going to, the laws are really going to depend on who's emperor at the time, because some emperors are going to very clearly claim, like, you need to worship me as a god. Generally, the imperial cult doesn't go that far. The idea is you should show reverence to the emperor as the supreme pontiff, which, if that sounds really familiar to you, it's because it's a title used by the pope now, the supreme bridge builder. And the idea is that the emperor is as close to the gods as anyone can be. He builds the bridge from humans to gods. So you should show reverence to him. Some will go so far as to claim divinity for themselves. Most don't. But if you're denying, this is the way that they're going to think. We have we have different sources. My sources, specifically the textbooks that I was required to read for my history classes, claimed that the Roman Empire taught that Caesar is a god. Depending on which Caesar... At any rate, that's not the point is you have to either show reverence or worship, but there's a more important thing at stake here that Martin mentioned. They're polytheistic, which means they believe in many gods. And each of these gods has a certain sphere of special influence. So you have a god of the sea, you have a god of storms, you have a god of whatever, right? A god of the harvest. What happens, Martin, if you if you're a nation and you worship a harvest god, what do you think happens if someone pisses off the harvest god? There's no more harvest. Yeah, your wheat crop fails, you know, your animals stop giving birth, you know, you pissed off the god of farming, and now all of a sudden everyone's starving because you're in a famine, because someone pissed off the wrong god. So how do you fix that, Martin? You offer lots of goodies. You offer sacrifices, and you stop people from doing whatever's pissing the god off. Just like when your boss is mad at you at work. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cookies the next day. And Whenever you your boss thinking. is mad at you at work, then just bribe them. Anyway, <laughs> Brandy's our youth minister for anyone who didn't get that joke. It is a joke. I don't need more sweets in my life because I can't control myself around goodies. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Yeah, you offer a lot of sacrifices and stuff to make the God happy, but you also stop whatever is pissing them off. So if there's a cult somewhere... That is saying, you know, they have like, you know, screw the the harvest god banners all over their sacred meeting place. You go and you kill those people or you arrest them or you force them to convert. You do something to make them stop what they're doing. And then you offer a bunch of goodies to the god and then you hope that they have mercy on you. That's how these people thought. So if you have a huge group of people who are saying there is only one god and all of your gods are full of crap. And then bad things start happening. You have a failed crop. Or uh, in the case of Nero, Rome mysteriously lights a flame. And we have some documents from somewhat later 
where people are saying that Nero sent people to intentionally light parts of the city on fire and it got out of hand because he wanted to build a giant palace and there were houses in the way. At any rate, Rome burns for days and you have these people that are denying the gods that are really, it's really popular cult in the city. What do you do? You go and arrest those people or force them to convert or kill them or drive them out of the city or do something to get them away from you so they stop taking the gods off so the gods stop punishing you. And then you offer lots of gifts as an I'm sorry to the gods and you hope that they have mercy on you. So every once in a while you see these things flare up where something usually something bad happens and the people blame the Christians because you're denying the gods and then they go and they beat up on the Christians to make them to make them stop to make the gods forgive them. So the church can't get together because whenever they try to start organizing and something bad happens, people try to kill them, at least try to kill a few of them. So they don't organize for a very long time. You have this emperor named Emperor Constantine who has kind of a conversion experience and he ends up making Christianity a publicly blessed, you know, permissible religion and kind of actually making a state religion eventually. Uh, And at that point, you finally can come out in the open with your faith. You can organize, you can build churches, you can appoint bishops and actually have them meet together in these giant things called councils where they debate about things and try to determine official church stances. And at that point, you have some people in the church, especially in the eastern half of the church, that don't think Jesus is as God as the Father is. They think he's divine, but they think he's like a lesser God that the Father created. And these people are called Arians in honor of a actually otherwise historically insignificant figure that just kind of became the mascot of this movement. And it takes some time for people, very famous church figures like the Cappadocian Fathers. You can just Google the Cappadocian Fathers. It's a small group of people who are very influential in theology. Uh, Athanasius, the guy that Santa Claus is based off of, St. Nicholas is one of the he's not as important as the other guys but there's some fun probably not true stories about him like punching Arius in the face and these guys have to actually go and like publicly debate and show from scripture and church tradition that no Jesus is God and he's co-eternal he's always existed and the, the Holy Spirit as well is co-eternal with the Father he's always existed there's never been a time where he hasn't and they're all equal the Father Son and Holy Spirit are all equal to one another and this isn't really settled until the council of nicaea in the 300s and even then there's still ongoing debate for a period of time and it's kind of resettled again in the 380s at the council of constantinople where the nicene the agreement called the nicene creed they came up with is kind of rewritten and expounded upon and at that point the church in the roman empire pretty much 100 settles on the son the holy spirit and the father in light of scripture are all god they're all equal to one another but there's only one god and they become what we call trinitarians or nicene trinitarians the germans take a while to catch up there's political reasons for that i'm not going to dive into right now because we wanted to keep this short but keep in mind The Germans, the Goths, the Germanic barbarians, they are not Trinitarians for several more generations. And there's just political reasons for that. And even like in the 400s, when the Goths destroy the city of Rome, they're Christians, but they're not Trinitarian Christians. And it leads to some really interesting writings from people like St. Augustine, who is 
going to like kind of compliment them out one side of his mouth because they're Christians, but out the other side of his mouth be like, but they're heretics and I hate them. It just makes for some really interesting reading. So that is the nutshell version of why it took us so long to agree as a church. But I think Jesus taught Trinitarianism. And the only reason why it took so long is because people were trying to kill us. That's the only reason it took us so long to formally get together and say this is the way it should be. So as a little bit of a recap here, we've talked about the Trinity. We've defined it a little bit. Uh, We've talked about uh, how it's supposed to affect everything that we truly believe about God and in reality affect our whole theology and what we do. Um, We talked about how it developed through time, and we hope that we gave you guys enough evidence to come to the conclusion that we do, because we don't really want you to disagree with us. Uh, That, you know, Jesus taught this and that it wasn't established until the church could really get together. So Mm -hmm. we want to thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, We want to take a second and say thank you. I mean, We also want to ask you guys to go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you really, really appreciate us, you can send us $5. It's my turn, so I'll take it. Uh, And on that note, we will see you guys next week as we talk about how the Trinity affects the church.